Welcome into another episode of Dads in Time Out. This is your host, Jesse Williams, a.k.a. J. Will. And today, we have a great show for you today. But before we get started, just know that this is your podcast. If you get put in time out, you need to take a quick time out, like a 30-seconder. Or if you just need to take some time out for sports. So let's get into it. So we have a lot of topics to cover today, talking about the transfer transfer portal in the NCAA and the one and done draft in the NBA. Um, we're going to talk about how the NFL combine can be misleading as can pro days. We're also going to tell you a little bit about the draft, but just there's going to be some quick thoughts because I don't keep up with enough players to be able to tell you about 200 something players going into the draft or how many ever it is. And so and then we're going to get into some NBA stuff if I can stay up long enough because I am shooting this podcast from a hotel room. I am doing some work, so I'm having to stay in a hotel. And it's 11.54 p.m. and I have to be at work at 1 p.m. but be out of the hotel by 11. So first what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about what Dick Vitale said and what I think Dick Vitale was trying to say without trying to put words in Dick Vitale's mouth. So I do believe that a lot of people have been just going crazy on Twitter, which, as you know, I know that's what Twitter does, which you can find me at Guy on Twitter. It is the official page of the Dads in Time Out podcast. So here's the thing. Dick Vitale put out a series of tweets about the transfer portal. People yelled at him on Twitter and said that he was against the kids, blah, blah, blah. The first tweets that I saw that he put out were on April 9th, and so I decided amongst you know taking care of my five-month-old son and working and working in different locations and doing stuff with the army that I would take time before I responded to this and I wanted to be thorough and talk about what I thought the real issues were and after watching a wonderful college basketball tournament congratulations to to Baylor for beating Gonzaga physically overmatched them in every way but Gonzaga still had a great season and so I'm going to read some of the tweets from Dick Vitale. I'm going to give you the dates so you can look them up. And to his credit, he didn't delete his tweet. So the first one that I saw is the one that really jumped us off. These are the first two, and then I'll get into some tweets he sent later. This transferring all over the place is going to destroy our great game. The at NCAA should think twice before officially making it that players can transfer without sitting one year. The chaos going on is sickening, all caps. Only should allow players to transfer without sitting when a coach leaves. We're going to get to that point. Transfer portal com- totally out of control. At WBB has 10 players enter the portal today. I'm not going to go ahead. And he said it's absurd. And then he talks about um, just a bunch of things going on there. So I'm scrolling through Twitter. And, you know, some of this mumbling will get edited out. Um he says on that same day, I give up talking to Transfer Portal as when trying to make sense for the NCAA. They simply cannot listen and could care less what is right. Someone please explain to me how does having over 1,200 players in a Transfer Portal good for the game. Then he has a lot of beautiful tweets about different stuff. And then he says, I want to get one thing straight here. I have zero problem with players transferring. In many cases, it's beneficial. This is April 11th. However, allowing players to transfer without sitting out has totally changed the entire landscape of college hoops. It has created chaos as over 1,200 are in the portal. 
And then Dick Vitale says again, let me be clear here to all those that say it is not fair that coaches have the right to move on and do not sit out. This can be solved simply by having an NCAA rule that states if a coach leaves, all the players on his team have the option to transfer without sitting out. Um, I, I think he says something more recently about that. And I, I'm not going to scroll through and find it. I should have screenshotted this. But number one, Dick Vitale has been in college basketball, involved in college basketball for at least 50 years. At least, probably longer. And I know it's longer than that because 50 years ago was, what, 1970? And so, and Dick Vitale has been a hype man on the announcers. He sometimes can be a little annoying to listen to just because he gets yells, but I love his enthusiasm. He loves college basketball, and he absolutely cares about players. So people who are saying that are misinterpreting, I think, what he's trying to say. So I think there's some points here. Number one, I agree. If a coach leaves, every single player that is in that program that was recruited by that coach should have the option to leave, period. Just because they, a lot of the times, they sign up to play for that coach. Number two, I don't think a coach should have to sit out a year. And I don't necessarily think players should have to sit out a year. Um, If you play band and then you transfer then you don't have to sit out a year. Now, let's talk about the downfalls of this. The downfalls of this are quite obvious. Vital's right, you have 1,200 people in a portal, and it's almost going back to the same problem with the one and done, is that you're just having so much turnover, you're trying to reintegrate and integrate new players into a system every single year. And it also makes it hard for me as a fan because there's so many new players that if I don't do this for a paid living, it's hard for me to keep up with all the players. College football has a lot of players, but guys have to stay at least three years. And if they don't, they have to wait three years since they're until they're out of high school to go for the NFL draft. So to me, that makes sense. So with 1,200 players in the portal, it changes recruiting, right? So you can get more experienced guys. I'm an Arkansas Razorbacks fan, and Eric Musselman is great at the transfer portal. So here are the reasons why I think players should be able to transfer. Number one, you have a job as people listening. I'm sure you have a job, right? And you can put in a two weeks notice. You can leave that job. You can take a job offer, get a better job offer, right? And so you're not stuck in that situation. Sports is the only thing where we demand that if someone commits to something that they stick with it. And I'm going to get to that point in a minute because I hear your argument and I understand what I think some people are trying to say. But it's the same thing that people have a problem with the players being paid. It's like, okay, they get a free education, but what if a player goes to a program and he just doesn't fit? He gets recruited, he likes the coach, then the coach may be one way when he's recruiting him and be a different way when he's actually playing. What if the coach comes under some sort of allegation? What if that program then goes into a postseason ban or they lose scholarships and the team is just not very good? And a player whose goal is to get to the next level is hindered by a program that's not being run very well. I see it from that perspective. I also see where people are like, we need to train these people to hold to their commitments and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, listen, if you go to a job and you're getting passed over and you're not getting the opportunities, you can just go get a different job. Some people are like, oh, there's not many jobs in my town where if you have a vehicle, you can move. And I understand people have families and kids and stuff like that. But at the same time, I understand 
that and well actually no I don't understand because here's my problem when did it become the fans jobs to raise these players right so they're like we need to teach these kids responsibility that's not your job right that's not the job of the institution the job of the institution is to give an education you may have some professors that teach life lessons but for the most part you have professors who teach subjects that actually I think hinder college kids because I give them a theoretical hypothetical view of the world that sometimes isn't always steeped in reality and I'm not hating on colleges and all this I've just I've been on both sides I've been to a private Christian university and I've been to a liberal state university both have their ups and their downs and but part of the education system is professors telling you how they think the world should be so let's stop with this we're trying to make these people better members of society there are going to be the players who aren't going to go to the next level that's understood but because i would love to see players on my team not transfer but what if you're a top recruit let's say you go to kentucky or duke or north carolina and they have a big freshman class but then some sophomores return all of a sudden you're not playing and then year two you're not playing and then it's like hold on i know that i'm a top rated recruit and other programs want you where you can actually showcase your ability but no you should stay there and then you should sit out a year and then you stay in college longer so you end up with a bunch of guys who don't have any classes to take at the end of the their career who are stuck in college because of some rule and i understand what dick is saying is because he's saying there's so many people in it that is getting out of control listen if you're not going to pay the players um because here's the thing what if they just quit on that program and then transfer at the end of the year i mean i, I just don't understand the making of sitting out now if a, a compromise would be to say hey look you can transfer once without sitting out then if you transfer again you sit out a year that way you're not just bouncing around but even then it's like why do we care if these players sit out like people don't honor their commitments all the time and people can say well you sign contracts well how many people out there listening to this program to this podcast actually signed a contract i didn't i signed up i work at walmart right and so i got a job and i like did all the stuff you have to do to get a job but i didn't sign a contract saying that i would stay at walmart coaches are allowed to violate their contracts because there's buyouts involved and they have to give some money back but they have money to give back right so i I just don't understand where that's coming from i do think it's crazy but i think it's interesting i don't really have a full stance really because i don't care that much what college players do with their lives like i think that if college players want to transfer to another school then they should be able to. And I'm sorry, guys, I'm a little tired and drank a lot of sodas today, so my voice isn't as normal as it is, but I still wanted to give you this podcast because I knew if I waited till the morning, I probably wouldn't do it. So I think that the Twitter outrage against Vital was ridiculous. I think the players should be able to do what they want to a certain extent, like transferring. I don't think there's a fix. And I had I got into an argument with my buddy about this the other day about the G League, and he was like, the G League's a joke, blah, 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 but he's a college fan, right? And so I think that college fans' biggest fear is that there will be a league that develops these players and pays them at the same time, and then people aren't going to want to play college sports. Like, some guys don't want to go to college, and that's fine. Like, you may want to go to college. And a lot of guys I know don't even go to college, but they want to tell college players what to do, and it makes no sense to me. Look, 
don't be a hypocrite. That's my number one rule in life. Like, you're not a college athlete. You don't know what they go through. And I don't, I'm not saying they should get paid millions. I don't care either way. I've been a less of a basketball fan because of the one and done rule. So let's get into the one and done. I think the one and done is ridiculous. I think you should be able to go to the league whenever you want. I think that if you want to go play in the G League, like I don't understand why we're keeping 18-year-olds out of the league, but not 19-year-olds. Like, What's that one-year difference? And I know a lot of people say, well, there's a whole bunch of 18-year-olds that busted. But can you imagine if LeBron James had to go play college basketball back in the day? Like, Who was going to guard that guy? And you could say that about Shaq, but Shaq wasn't Shaq. I mean, he was Shaq, right? But he wasn't fully body-developed Shaq when he got to the league. He built that his three years in college. And so I just think that the NBA, I think the one-and-done rule is dumb. I think that it changed recruiting. I think that it even changed the way Duke recruited. And it keeps us from being able to grow with these teams. But no one really watches. I mean, I'm not saying no one, but a lot of people I know don't watch the G League. But, and here's another point I have to make. Think about Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, people said, was held back by Dean Smith, and then he got to the league and started averaging 30. But Dean Smith's job, his primary job, is not to get players ready for the NBA. A college coach's primary job is to win games and get his next contract, make money for the university, and win national championships. That's the goal. So if you think that getting a bunch of one-and-done players and then creating a system where they share the ball or you utilize the strengths of your team, that's the job of a coach. And I'm not going to tell a coach how to run his program. I just think that's ludicrous. I think it's ridiculous. Now, the G League is more of an NBA-type game. And it's. I just think that, man, look, I'm a, I was a college basketball fan growing up, but that's because the players stayed and I kind of got to grow up with them. Now, I still, I watch the tournament. I watch games when they're on TV when I get a chance, but it's just, it's different. It's it's not the same. There's so many new faces. I just kind of wait till they get to the league or if there's a team that gets hot and I'm like, hey, like I kind of want to check them out. But there's so many games, so many teams, and I don't get paid to do this. And I cover the NBA and the NFL and college football and college basketball. So I kind of have to pick and choose. So listen, there's a whole bunch of college basketball pages on Twitter and they do a great job. Follow them. Sticking with college, we are going to talk a little bit about the NFL or about the, uh, the NFL draft really quickly. Number one, I do not care about the combine. I do not care about pro days. I'm not saying I don't care, but I don't care. And what I mean by that is if Justin Fields or Zach Wilson want to run one way and then throw across their body with T-shirts and shorts on and hit a receiver in stride, I think that's really great. But I would love to see them do that when getting chased by 290-pound or 280-pound defensive linemen and getting blitzed by linebackers with helmets and pads on. Then that would really impress me. I don't care how much you can bench lift because I just I don't get into that stuff. Like I'm sure that there are metrics that are valuable to these NFL teams and cool like they can do that and I'm not saying that these these guys are impressive like they've been working out their whole lives they've been doing this stuff and they're mega mega talented so I'm not really too concerned um speaking of Justin Fields his draft stock seems to be slipping or not because there is a lot of people there's a lot of people that are saying that he's going to go number 
three to the 49ers. They traded up to get the three, right? Because the Jets have two, and all accounts, the Jets are going to take uh, Zach Wilson from BYU. Trevor's going to go number one. And a lot of people are like, oh, they're nitpicking Justin Fields. Well, Justin Fields didn't have the greatest second year. That He didn't have the year he had last year. Now, he was really good against Alabama, even though they were getting blown out. And he was really good against Michigan. But there were a couple games in there with Justin. I think it was Northwestern and Indiana where he didn't play great. Here's the thing. The dude was one of the top quarterbacks coming out in his class. Because remember, Justin Fields went to Georgia. But then Jake Fromm balled out and they stuck with Fromm. And then Justin Fields transferred to Ohio State. Listen, if you were to tell me who would you take between Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, I would say Trevor Lawrence. We saw it immediately as a freshman. Dude can make all the throws. Now, I do think he gets rattled under pressure, but Trevor Lawrence, to me, is a clear number one. Zach Wilson's probably number two. But if you're talking about Fields or Mac, and I think Fields and Zach Wilson are a toss-up based on competition, whatever. It's what you're looking for and trust. Your team should trust their scouts. Mac Jones, who I've been high on, I would take just because of how awesome he did with awesome talent. And people are like, he's not going to have the Indiana NFL. It's like, wait a minute, guys. Um, every player that he's going to play with in the NFL is an NFL player. Not every player he played with Alabama. Most of the offensive players are are NFL players. So it's, it's going to be a wash, right? But it's going to be playing against better defenses. So, yes, I understand what you're trying to say there. And a lot of people are trying to make it a race thing. It's like, oh, well, Justin Fields, why are we nitpicking his tape? I mean, some people do that. I don't. I don't really watch tape and film because, once again, I got a lot of stuff to do. I think you're fine if you take Justin Fields. I think you're... Honestly, if you take any four of them guys. Now, I wouldn't take Mac Jones one or two. And I think that his... The ability to process information has been lauded and and if and scouts that I've heard people talk about really like Mac Jones. So um Trey Lance, I have no idea what to do with. I mean, he played one game this year that they did just so he could get scouts. I mean, that's dope that uh North Dakota State did that. But the last guy that came from North Dakota State balled out and then it seems like the league caught up to him. And it's just a difference when you don't play against top competition because Listen, the difference between North Dakota State and Alabama is, is is big. Now, obviously, between college and NFL is big, too. And if you're just that good, I don't know enough about Trey Lance. Now, do I think he should go first, second round? Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, that's what scouts are saying. But I would be – I wouldn't take Trey Lance that high. Um, wide receivers, running backs, all that. Do what you may. I, I think that – I think there's a lot of arguments to who should go where based on need. I'm not going to go through the entire draft. I will say that if the Dallas Cowboys take Pitts, it's a hard decision. Just be, And I'm not a Cowboys fan, but I keep hearing about the Cowboys taking Pitts, and I think that they need a cornerback but it's so, or maybe a replacement for Zeke Elliott, but that's really high to take a running back unless it's going to be one of those, like you know he's going to be dominant for four, at least his rookie contract. And Zeke's numbers have gone down each year since the beginning. Thank you, Colin Cowherd. So you're in a quandary because it's like you don't need more offensive weapons if you're Dallas. But, like, he might be a once-in-a-lifetime tight end. I mean, the dude is ridiculous. Like, the specs on him for a tight end are incredible. And so, and this is just my whole thing with the NFL draft is there's so many players. There's so many people that are going to hit. There's so many people that are going to miss. And...
the teams that are in the position to take a quarterback are in the position for a reason. Listen, if you're the Bears, you got to get one of these guys. I don't care what it takes because their history of drafting quarterbacks is terrible or developing quarterbacks or whatever. Like, you got rid of Mitchell Trubisky for a washed-up Andy Dalton. And I don't want to go into an NFL rant because it's too far away from the season. And honestly, it's too far away from the draft. And I haven't even done a mock draft because I haven't really dug into it that much. I just... We'll do a whole, like, who needs a quarterback and who might need a coach thing. I think I did one of those podcasts a while back when I was doing these off my phone. I can't really remember because that was a long time ago. And so that's going to wrap up all the college talk. Um, And then we're going to go ahead and dive into the NBA. And we're going to get kind of deep into the NBA a little bit. And so we're going to just basically do what I usually do but with updated with new information about, and I'm not going to go through all the playoff teams. I might mention them and being like, yeah, these dudes ain't got no chance, like 90% of the East. And then I'm going to discuss some of the problems that each of these teams have because there isn't a clear-cut favorite this year. Everybody has a glaring weakness um, in the top three or four in each conference. And there's some teams that might be fooling you, so we'll get to that. So... Yeah, let's go ahead and get into this NBA talk. So let's start in the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference for years has been ridiculed as the conference that basically is going to get sent to lose to the West. And I think a lot of times that is justified, but I think that this year all these teams have flaws. So we'll start with the Nets. So James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving have played a grand total of seven games, excuse me, I just burped, I apologize. They've played seven games together this year. No team has ever been able to do that and win a championship. Kevin Durant just yesterday got a thigh contusion and was out for the rest of the game. And we see what happens. Kyrie played a great game, but at the same time, if you look at the last shot by Bam Adebayo, Kyrie was there. I didn't see Kyrie make much of a dying effort on defense. And there were two plays that really stuck out to me in that game. There was late in the fourth quarter, Goran Drodrick basically took the ball all the way down, and there was nothing the Nets could do to stop him from getting to the rim. And then the Bam shot. Bam took the ball, dribbled, 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 went right to his spot, and got the perfect look that he wanted. LaMarcus Aldridge retired because of the heart murmurs. Listen, basketball's not worth dying over. And I get it, and that's going to be a blow to them. But the problem with the Nets is going to be that all this looks really good against individual teams. What I mean by that is that you don't have teams game planning for you like they will in a seven-game series. Listen, if Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving go off offensively, no team in basketball can outscore them. That's the fact of the matter. They will win the championship. But I would like to bring something up. And it's about adversity. And it's about how each of their three stars have done either in adversity or in the playoffs. So Kevin Durant is in Oklahoma City. And he's up 3-1. And then they lose to Golden State when Golden State goes on and loses a championship to the Cavaliers. Kevin Durant has the right to become a free agent, which he did, and go to the team that he wanted to go to, which was Golden State which was a team that he just lost to, but 
they had the money it was in the rules it was in the salary cap the salary cap exploded that year they had the money they added him he goes and wins two championships well what happens year three in golden state well kevin durant and draymond green get into it draymond draymond calls him the b-word and kevin durant then leaves which he has the right to do but then he goes and forms a team with Kyrie. What has Kevin Durant been like with adversity? Well, he didn't handle the rust split well. He didn't handle the Twitter stuff well, but he is balled on the court. And in big moments when and see that's what Skip Bayless always talks about. Skip's always like, "Oh, he hit the shot in two consecutive game threes." Okay. Well, the Nets are up 2-0 in both of those series. And so, yes, it was in LeBron's house. But LeBron has shown what he can do in a Game 7. When has Kevin Durant ever done that in a clinching fashion? Minus, I would dare to say, in a conference championship game or when he was in Oklahoma City when they went to the finals and lost to the Heat. Okay, so that's Kevin Durant. Still, this probably the second best player on the planet when healthy, but that's going to be the big thing with Kevin Durant is, is this going to be a pattern of leg injuries that sideline him for multiple weeks or months of the season? And I know you're going to say Anthony Davis, and we'll get to him when we get to the Western Conference. Let's look at Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving plays with LeBron and wins a championship. It hits one of the clutchest shots in NBA history. Well, then he wants to be the man, and he can't stop taking digs at LeBron. And then he goes to Boston, and then he decides on his own without any prompting, I hope to play here for a long time if y'all will have me. And then he leaves, and he keeps taking personal time. And listen, if there's something actually going on with Kyrie Irving, I hope everything is well. But we're seeing that it's he's taken two sabbaticals now. He's also been nicked up and injured. Now, when on the court this year, Kyrie has been phenomenal. Okay, let's go to James Harden. James Harden, not so much adversity, but, and I'll say basketball adversity for James Harden. And listen, the way he went out of Houston has been discussed. We talked about it. That probably would keep him from being the MVP. Now he's hurt. And what has he done late in the playoffs when he had to be the guy to carry a team? Okay, it didn't end up well. So now you put three of those guys together in Harden and Katie and Kyrie and when has been the guy that ever carried a franchise to a championship on his back. Now you might say the collection of the parts. Okay, Blake Griffin couldn't be that guy. He's past his prime. And here's the Nets' biggest problem is when a team plays bully ball and goes down low, who's going to play defense? Who's going to stop ball penetration? Listen, if Joe, like I said, if Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden play their A-plus games for a seven-game series, and Joe Harris shoots 46% or whatever that dude is shooting from threes, and Landry Shamit does what he does tonight, they're going to probably 4-0-4-0-4-0-4-0 the whole playoffs. But the playoffs are about adversity, and I haven't seen it individually from these guys because people act like, people act like Kevin Durant has this Miami... LeBron against Boston back against the wall down 3-2 moment or like LeBron down 3-1 against Golden State when he comes back or yeah LeBron missed a late shot but LeBron was ridiculously good in game six when Ray Allen quote-unquote saved his legacy and then LeBron closes out the Spurs who 
would then dust him the next year in the finals. Every time LeBron has faced adversity, he's come back from it, and that's why he won the championship last year because his team was able to do that. We'll get to LeBron in a minute. First-time head coach is Steve Nash. Then he hires Mike D'Antoni. None of those guys know anything about defense. And then the Nets play some good defense. People are like, oh, well, let's see. I don't trust it. Good thing is they're in the East. Philadelphia. Let's talk about the Sixers. Joel Embiid, had he stayed healthy all year, would have been the MVP. He probably would have beat out LeBron. Lebr I don't think LeBron was playing at an MVP level this year. I think he was playing in the MVP conversation. But I think that we just kind of like, oh, they were the best team and he had the best record, minus the Jazz. And let's give him that based on that. And Anthony Davis wasn't playing up to that. But LeBron was just being LeBron. Like, he wasn't being the most dominant player in the league. He was just being the most consistent and doing so many other things that don't show up in box scores to help his team win. Tobias Harris has played out of his mind this year. Okay? You've also got Ben Simmons, who doesn't shoot. And here's my problem with Philadelphia. And I'm going to go to their roster. And I want you... And oh, they have the White Howard, who has turned kind of back into a goofball. And how reliable is he? And he's getting very close to that technical foul um, limit. So we're just going to go down to 76ers roster. So Embiid is averaging, hold on, that's PER, 30 points a game. Tobias is averaging 20. Simmons, 14. Shake Milton, 13. Seth Curry, 12. Danny Green, 9. And then the Maxi dude from Kentucky is averaging 7. Dwight, 6.8. And then a bunch of dudes I don't care about. Like, except for Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe because they played for the Razorbacks, but they won't see the court in the playoffs. Which is fine. Okay, so we saw Danny Green in the finals last year. We also saw Danny Green like a million years ago with the Spurs hit like seven threes in a game. So it's another question of in a seven-game series, if for some reason Embiid's off his game, do you trust Tobias Harris to carry them? Now, if they're but now see they they also present a matchup problem for Brooklyn because who is going to keep Joel Embiid out of the paint for Brooklyn? Now, if Seth Curry and Danny Green shoot threes and Doc Rivers uses his playoff experience they're very dangerous but I've seen this in the playoffs before with Philadelphia where they just don't reach their max potential Ben Simmons numbers are actually down this year I think across the board and now he he can go get his own shot in the paint and he's a great defender and defense is going to help them that's going to be the calling card for Doc Rivers the Bucks, I know they added Drew Holiday, which takes a little bit of pressure off of Giannis, but they just don't have that guy, no offense to Chris Middleton, that I believe in a seven-game series is going to be able to go get their own bucket in the clutch. Giannis has to get to the paint. He has to dominate by dunking and rebounding and being super long. That's why they call him the Greek Freak. Now... They have players. They have Giannis is averaging 28, Middleton 20, Holiday 17, Brooke Lopez 11, Bobby Portis is averaging 11 points a game. Shout out Arkansas. And DiFenzenzo, I never can say that dude's name. The dude from Villanova. He's a really good shooter. And then the, the, the Connaughton guy that plays shooting guard. Um, and so, and I think they got Jeff Teague. Did Jeff Teague play for them? Or did they trade Jeff Teague from there? Yeah, Jeff T plays for the Bucks, So they have a very nice team, but the question with them is when you wall off Giannis in the playoffs, can he overcome that? He's starting to hit a little more jumpers. His free throw shooting is actually up. 
I don't see the Bucks. And here's the thing. This seems to be the story of Mike Budenholzer's career is that he can get you to the conference finals. He can get you to the best record in the conference. And maybe it's the collection of talent that he had. Maybe if you put Mike Budenholzer in the situation. But I also don't think their personnel's that... I think I think Milwaukee is superior in personnel to Utah. But I think that Utah has a closer. And we'll get to Utah when we get to the Western Conference. So the Bucks are worrisome. The Hawks ain't doing anything in the playoffs. Trey Young is an offensively gifted player who's very annoying to watch. But... I don't know how much better he makes players. Rondo got up out of there. Clint Capella is a good addition for them. Hey, Nate McMillan's going to either keep this job or get another job because he's basically righted that ship. New York is a great story, but they're going to game plan for Julius Randle, and R.J. Barrett's not at a point in his career where he's going to beat you by himself. Miami is the – we'll get to Miami in a minute. Charlotte, nice story, but with that LaMelo ball, I mean – just good to see them. And then, of course, Indiana, Toronto, Chicago, Washington, blah, 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 blah. None of those guys, like, if you're fans of them, I'm not dissing them, but, like, come on, they're not winning a playoff series. Miami and Boston are confusing. And I'll start with Boston because Boston was, like, eighth, and then they've won a bunch of games in a row. And the biggest question for them is Brad Stevens. And it's also Jason Tatum. Listen, Jalen Brown's having a breakout year, but Jalen, if you count on Jalen Brown to carry you to a series win – I just don't think that's him. I don't know if it'll ever be him. I don't. I think he's best suited as a number two. But the problem is, is that Brad Stevens, in my opinion, coaches his team like a college team, and it's great in the regular season. Get everybody involved. You have tough guy Marcus Smart. You've got they got rid of the Theus guy, and then you got Grant Williams playing more. And I think what's that other dude's name? Um, they, they got another Williams dude that I, I think is Robert Williams. What's that dude's name? that played at Texas A&M. Robert Williams III. Um, Evan Fournier hasn't been great. He's averaged 11 points since he's got there. They just picked up Jabari Parker, which is interesting. And then they got the Peyton Pritchard dude. Um, yeah, because Jeff Teague played for them. That's Jeff Teague left them and then went to the uh, went to the, to the Bucks. Jason Tatum is going to have to turn into a superstar. But here's the thing that worries me when it comes to these other teams. Do you really want to play Boston in the second round or if they fall in the first round? Is that the matchup you want? And is Brad Stevens going to get fired? Because he just turned down seven years, $70 million at some point, uh, reportedly, to coach Indiana, which I wouldn't go coach Indiana for the simple fact is that they're not... Their expectations for their program, I think, are beyond what their program actually is. And that's not a diss to Indiana, but just go look ever since Bobby Knight left. Yeah, they had that one Mike Davis championship in 2001, I think it was. And then they ran him off that job, and then Crean couldn't get it right. And whatever other coach. Oh, then the, uh, Archie Miller couldn't get it right. And so, and I think those are both really good. Co- I don't know about Crean, but I think they're both good coaches. But at what point are you going to look at Brad Stevens and be like, the common denominator is you. Like, you got rid of Kyrie. Now, Kimball Walker's knees, obviously a problem. I think that, but you can't just keep building in excuses like, oh, we've been to the, what, the Eastern Conference Finals three out of four years. I'm like, yeah, but none of those times you broke through to the finals. Now, if they go to the Conference Finals and they lose to the Nets, then, yeah, you don't get rid of Brad Stevens because, I mean, that's a super team. And Jason Tatum just, 
Jason Tatum's averaging 26 points, seven rebounds, and four assists. I think he should be more, and this is going to be my problem with Boston, is he should be more LeBron-esque in that he should be like 26, seven, and seven, which I don't think is too much to ask for the best player. Who is their true playmaker on that team? Kemba's a good point guard, but is he a playmaker or is he a shot maker in a point guard's body? And I'm not. And if you're a Boston Celtics fan, you can scream and be like, "Oh, you don't know anything about Kemba." I'm like, "Hey, man, like, inform me, tweet me at J Will Sports Guy, and I would love to talk to you about it and be proven wrong." I just don't think they have that guy that sets up everything because when Kemba was in Charlotte, he was the leading scorer guy, and yeah, he got assists and all that, but he's not like Chris Paul. He's not like Harden has become. He's not a LeBron. He's not a Ben Simmons, which is like, and Luka, even Luka Doncic were like. My job is to set up my teammates first, then go get my buckets, right? So I think that, and then Miami, it's like Miami was playing Brooklyn with KD played four minutes. Kyrie didn't really have like the crazy, crazy Kyrie game. And they had to rely on a shot by Bam. And I know they didn't have Jimmy Butler. But what's the issue with Miami is I think that we saw Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. And I'm, ste I'm stealing this from Colin Cowherd, I'm sure. But I've seen it too. It's like those guys, if they're not hitting their shots, what are they? Like Tyler Hero ain't guarding anybody. And then Duncan Robinson is hit or miss. And you've got Bam who's a, on the verge of becoming a superstar. And, and he's still young. So I'm not going to be like, what's taking him so long? Like I think he's on your trajectory. I think that they're a product of them overachieving last year of themselves overachieving so now everyone expects them to be like the number one team in the east and i still think spo's a good coach and Drogic. it's just it's an interest and i know victor oladipo got hurt and i don't know what victor oladipo's place in this league is he obviously has a place but he was never a superstar but he was always had like that breakout game or two where you'd be like oh oladipo's because he was really 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 good coming out of college and then he like went to like Orlando and Oklahoma City, then Indiana. Indiana, he was like an all-star type player. And then he um, goes to Houston, and that situation's a mess, and he's hurt again, and then he's now hurt again. And it's Jimmy Butler, super tough guy, who's perfect for that team, by the way. Listen, like Jimmy Butler should retire in Miami. He's a Riley guy to me, and everything he says works. He called out his team, called him soft, but I mean, I think that he's the right guy to say and do that. And so with Miami, it's just, bro, I just, I think they're, and they're another team you don't want to see in the second round or you don't want to see in the first round. Like, if you're Milwaukee, do you want to see Miami in the first round of the playoffs? If, if Miami's a seven and you're the two? Or if, they get the sixth seed, and you are... Um, I'm sorry, the Sixers would be the two seed. Do you think the Sixers want to play Miami in the first round? Do you think Milwaukee wants to play them in the first round? I don't think Miami will drop to eight. So the Eastern Conference, yes, I think the Nets are still the favorite, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. And so I think it's just all these teams have a weakness. The Nets don't play defense consistently enough and don't have a big guy. The Sixers don't have a guy who can take you off the dribble and go get his own shot consistently, as in like a guard. And we'll get to that in the Western Conference when we talk about the Nuggets and we talk about the Jazz. The Bucks don't have a guy that can take you off the dribble consistently and get his own shot. The Celtics do, but that guy has to be the Jason Tatum that we saw against the uh, whoever they played the other night. Um, when they played Golden State, they ha it has to be that guy. 
Like, he has to be that guy every game in a playoff series. You can't have a 5-for-16, 21-point Jason Tatum game. More than once in a series, they're going to get wiped off the floor, and you might cost Brad Stevens your job. So that's the Eastern Conference. We'll get to the Western Conference. So the Western Conference, I was going to start with the Lakers and the Clippers, but I felt like that would be disrespectful since, like, the Jazz are, like, hitting 16 threes a game and have been the best regular season team all year. So let's talk about the Jazz. They have a rim protector, Rudy Gobert. That helps in the West, You, especially with the additions the Lakers made. And with Jokic, you absolutely need that. And if you happen to face Embiid in the playoffs. They got shooters everywhere. Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson's really become a nice baller. He's always been a nice baller, but now he's literally just gets to be Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench. Derek Favors adds something to that team. And then you've got... Um, Mike Conley Jr., who's just always a solid veteran. And now, and now you've got Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is what the Jazz have that the Bucks need. A guy that can take you off the dribble. Because we saw it last year in the playoffs. Donovan Mitchell can single-handedly beat you. And he's also elevated his game in other areas. Here's the problem. And I don't think his ankle sprain, it's a low ankle sprain. I don't think he's going to be out too long. It's not LeBron's high ankle sprain. It's not... KD's nagging injury, I don't think that'll be a factor. I say, listen, you've probably... The number one seed I don't think is super, super important this year because the eight and the seven in the West right now. So if the season ended today and you're Utah... Well, I mean, it's between Memphis and Dallas, right? But then the whole play-in scenario is a Golden State. So you want to get the one, but if Phoenix gets the one... I, I don't think you're in a situation where I think Utah loses to either one of those teams in a seven-game series. We'll get to one of those teams later. And it's a spoiler alert, it's not the Memphis Grizzlies. The fact that they're in playoff contention for a second year in a row is a credit to that team and to that organization. And I can't even tell you who the coach of the Memphis Grizzlies is. Um, I'm going to look that up real quick because I feel really... Um, you're probably going to hear me typing on my phone. Um, and so so Memphis Grizzlies getting on Google. Head coach. Who's the coach of the Memphis Grizzlies? Taylor Jenkins. I have no idea. I remember when he got hired. I have no idea who that dude is. But anyways, back to the Jazz. The Jazz are going to be interesting because when teams game plan for them, are you going to be able to hit 16 threes a game? Is that the way that you can win? And... I just don't think that they have the star power. Now, if Rudy Gobert was more of like an Embiid or a Jokic, then they're, I would say they have a great shot. Would not shock me if Utah lost in the second round or in the conference finals. Because they lost in the first round last year with basically the same team, and they just like hit all their threes this year. So I want to get off them for a minute. The Phoenix Suns, very quickly... Not to disparage the Suns, but I haven't seen enough from Aiton being dominant enough, which he shouldn't be because it's like his, what, second or third year in the league. I think it's his second year in the league. So I'm not expecting that from him yet. Um, Chris Paul transformed that culture, and Devin Booker can go off at any minute. Monty Williams just com continues to do great things in the NBA. And they have a, a really good team, and I wish Chris Paul would have been on this team like two years ago. And so because... I don't know how much longer Chris Paul can just be consistently Chris Paul, but I'll believe it because he has been. And then he doesn't have to carry a load and risk getting injured like he did in Houston and the Clippers. Like They don't need him to be Superman Chris Paul. They just need him to be orchestrator Chris Paul, and that gives them an advantage because he can also go get his own shot. And 
I think they're dangerous, but I don't see them as a real contender. Let's get to the teams who I think are contenders. And I'm sorry I got hung up on the Memphis Grizzlies head coach. Those teams to me are the Clippers and the Lakers. So let's talk about Denver first. If Jamal Murray does not tear his ACL, I think they're absolutely a contender. I don't care what the national media tells you. You have an MVP candidate in Jokic. Murray hasn't been himself, but we see what he can do in the playoffs. You add Aaron Gordon with Michael Porter Jr., who I know he doesn't play defense or do anything but score, but, dude, he can really score the basketball. He's like, my buddy said he's a young mellow, and there's a reason they drafted that dude knowing he wasn't going to play his first year. He's special. But now, to be fair, the Nuggets, if MJ, if M, Michael Porter Jr., MPJ, I guess they call him, if he has a breakout playoffs with Aaron Gordon, who can just like do Aaron Gordon things and not have to like be the face of a franchise because Vucevic never really was that, even though he was really their best player, the Nuggets are still dangerous. I just don't think they're a championship contender anymore. It's so sad because that team would have been fun in the playoffs with Jamal Murray. But now it's like that was their guy that could go get his own shot. This is a constant theme I'm talking about. And you can go back in NBA history and every team minus like one or two had a guy that could go get their own shot. Like since 2000. Like Tim Duncan could maybe not get his own shot, but you gave him the ball and get out of his way. Then with Tony Parker get his own shot. Kobe could go get his own shot. Um, then you got who else? The Pistons didn't need a guy who got to get their own shot because they played such great team basketball. And then you had the Spurs, you know, the Spurs and all that, and the Lakers again. And then the Celtics, Paul Pierce could get his own shot. You just had guys that you just keep going on. LeBron, D. Wade, Dirk Nowitzki, Steph Curry. I mean, and you could say he can't get his own shot, but Steph will blow by you and get to the rim, and they had the best shooting backcourt ever. And then Kevin Durant could get his own shot, and Kyrie can get his own shot, and James Harden can get his own shot. And that's the problem with a lot of these teams is who's the guy in Denver that can go get his own shot? Maybe it's MPJ. I, ha- I, just, I have to see it because, remember, I mean, he's the guy that – was like basically saying they should have thrown me the ball at the end of the game. <laughs> Loved it. Love it. So the Clippers. The Clippers' problem is that their floor general and their leader is basically a bench player in Rondo. Now, playoff Rondo is a real thing, but he's not their everyday starting point guard at this point in his career. And also, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, can you shake off last year? Paul George has to do something great in the playoffs to wash a lot of years of disappointment. We know Kawhi can do it. Now, Kawhi did it against a depleted team, but Kawhi also did it all throughout the Eastern Conference playoffs. So we know that Kawhi can be the man for stretches. They they don't have a big. Like, who's their big? Ibaka? Ibaka's a nice big, but he's not a big big. They have Zubac, but he's not giving you 35, 40 minutes. So if they can skate by without that being a big deal, because we saw what Jokic could do to to them without the lack of size or or with the lack of size. And I think losing Lou Williams and losing Montrez Harrell, I mean, because they got Luke Kennard and Nicholas Batum, but those guys are just role players. Reggie Jackson, has he ever done anything consistently in the playoffs? And, and I and I could have said all the same things about guys on the Lakers last year, and then they did it to enough, but they also had two of the top five players in the world at the time. And so it didn't really matter because those guys just needed to 
to fit a role. The Clippers are just, to me, I think if you keep discounting the Clippers, watch out because I, and they're shooting a three, like they're the number one three point shooting team by percentage, I think, in the entire NBA. I don't have them leaving the conference or getting out of the conference, not leaving the conference. They're in LA. They're not going to go to the Eastern Conference. I'm a goofball. I don't have them coming out of the West, but it would not shock me if they came out of the West. And I'll tell you why. The Lakers, LeBron and AD have been out for so long. Now, if LeBron and AD return to form and Andre Drummond gives you half the rebounds he gives you, and Ben McLemore gives you any type of three-point shooting, the Lakers are going to win the title because they can now, they can, because a lot of people were like, hey, they lost JaVale McGee and they lost Dwight Howard and now they don't have the rim size. Well, Andre Drummond brings all that. So you can go super big with like KCP being like 6'5", LeBron at 6'9". You can go Anthony Davis at 6'10", and then you got Drummond at like 6'11", just Big body, big body, big body. You can wear people down in the paint. Then you got Wesley Matthews just hit hit a three a game, maybe two. Caruso, be energizer Caruso guy. Now I do think they'll miss Rondo, but Markeith Morris has been nice for them. Harrell has been nice for them, and Kuzma is the most enigmatic thing about that team. You got Dennis Schroeder, who's like physical point guard that they need and is not scared of a soul, and they need that. I think Dennis Schroeder was the most underrated pickup of the offseason. I think that he has been better than I thought. He is he can run an offense, he can shoot, he's tough, he plays defense. The Lakers had basically the best defense all year, but LeBron and AD have legitimate injuries. Now, they've actually a lot of people thought by this point they'd already be in the play-in scenario at 7, 8, 9 or 10. And they're still sitting there at five, and Portland keeps losing, and Dallas keeps losing, and Dallas lost to the Kings, which is, I don't know how that happened. The Lakers' big question mark is consistent three-point shooting. They got everything else. They got size. They got leader guy. They got, I can beat you in the post and take you out, Anthony Davis. They got a monster rebounder now. They got LeBron who can get his own shot. They got Kuzma come off the bench and get his own shot. But his inconsistent play for all these years has driven me crazy. Maybe it's just playing with LeBron. But when LeBron's been off the court, he hasn't been that guy. He hasn't been – he never took that next step. And maybe they don't need him to. Maybe getting Schroeder was just – Kuzma can just go get you 13 and that's fine. But I always thought he was a 17 to 20-point guy talent-wise for that team. And now I'm like, okay, he's just another guy with lots of talent. Like, think about it. They literally have two six-men that play two different roles in Kuzma and Harrell. You've got KCP. You've got the Taylor Horton Tucker guy who's way better than I thought he was and always plays hard. And you've got Frank Vogel who preaches defense, and if they slow the game down, the Clippers do not want to get into a half-court offense unless Rondo's doing magic because if Rondo's not on the court, the ball stops. Like those guys, I've watched it in all the Clippers games I've watched, which has been like three or four, but all the highlights, the ball just dies and they all go one-on-one. The Lakers, the ball seems to move. Guys get open. Now, whether those guys hit the shots, Markeith Morris, but they're, they've got tough guys. Morris is tough. LeBron's tough. I'm not saying he's a tough guy, but like LeBron is mentally more durable than anybody in the league. And so 
and, it, and it's just an ankle sprain, right? So if the ankle sprain's fully healed, he'll be fine. It won't linger. And he's gotten the rest. Now will there be rust? So they're going to have to play, but they'll still have played way more games together than the Clippers played together last year and the Nets this year. Listen, Dallas Mavericks fans, KCP, or not KCP, KP and Luka aren't taking y'all to a championship. And stop with this, Tim Hardaway Jr. should be sixth man of the year, too inconsistent, and they just have to build something around those guys, and defensively, they're just not good. Portland, same problem. You've got too too much offense, but not enough stopping. Yurkic is always out. Zach Collins is always out. Carmelo fits his role. But when push comes to shove, who's going to stop him? And I mean, stop him means who's going to stop the defense? Not those guys. Not today. Not ever. Ever, ever, ever. By the way, why is New Orleans not in the top eight? Because they lose the teams they shouldn't lose to. And they've got a bright future, but that team makes no sense. And Luke Walton still has a job. I went through their schedule, and they're like the roller coaster team of the NBA this year. They win like four in a row, then they lose like six in a row, then they win three, and then they lose seven. And it's like, dude, like, okay, like Marvin Bagley the third has been out, but I mean, Buddy Heald wanted to be a starter, and he's been eh. De'Aaron Fox has been an all-star, really, really good. The Halliburton, Tyrese Halliburton's been really good. But that team shouldn't be as bad as they are. Memphis, nice story, but John Morant consistently isn't the scorer that he needs to be for that team. And I know they've had injuries too. Bro, what happens if Golden State wins a play-in game and then you have to go face Steph Curry for a whole seven-round series? Like, And you know you're going to win because Andrew Wiggins is undependable, if that's even the right word not dependable and then Kelly Oubre started off the season terribly and then Draymond's glue guy doesn't really work without other all-stars besides Curry around him like Curry might pull a Michael Jordan and average like 50 points for a playoff series and get swept you remember when Jordan scored a 63 against Boston but like he scored like a bunch of points in all those games and it's not gonna matter like, if the MVP was for the best player in the NBA, Steph, like, I looked at Steph's first MVP, and I think it's, I think, and I went back and looked at the, the players from that year, and I really believe James Harden should have won the MVP that year. James Harden was fantastic. They had a fantastic record. What Russell Westbrook had a great year, and but they didn't have as good of a record. And so, Steph Curry has been amazing. And so I think that I just said all of that about the NBA to say this is going to be the most crazy playoffs ever. And I'm so glad that we have the playoffs. I'm so glad that we're getting through the season. I'm so glad that Luka caught back on. has been great. Jokic has been great. The injuries have been kind of sad. Oh, to San Antonio Spurs. Um, DeMar DeRozan is not a Hall of Famer. Maybe a borderline Hall of Famer. But some of these some of these Spurs fans are like way overvaluing this vert. Now, now his assists are way up, and I didn't see that coming. But Demar Derozan, just because the guy scores twenty points a game, does not make him a Hall of Famer. Okay, just because he gets twenty and seven doesn't make him one of the top ten players in the league. It's so many other things that come into basketball 
that guys fail to realize. And they watch way more basketball because they have more time because I have like a son and stepkids and a job and just so many other things. But it's like, dude, you think if you watch that much basketball, you learn something. They're like, hey, the Dallas Mavericks, if we get hot, we can go win the championship. And I'm like, do you like understand like the intricacies of how basketball works and matchups and strengths and weaknesses of players and players with a ceiling like like I was a basketball player in junior high I was only going to be so good I might I was an inconsistent shooter which killed any prospects of anything I worked really hard but I wasn't physically gifted enough and I couldn't take people off the dribble consistently enough and I just wasn't big enough right I have I had a very low ceiling and some of these teams just have very low ceilings I was going to talk about baseball but all I really, because I'm, I'm exhausted, so I'm about to end this podcast and post it and go to sleep. But all I'm going to say about baseball is that y'all have got to find a way to market the thing. The season's way too long. And I, I was the biggest baseball fan in the world. But um, it's just so hard to follow. And the guys that we get excited about, like baseball purists get mad because like that guy flipped the bat. And it's like, dude, it's entertaining. And you can hit him with a ball. And for some reason, hitting somebody with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball doesn't seem to really hurt them unless they break a rib or something. But they just, like, take it and run to first base. And it's like, bro, like, if you hit me in the shoulder with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, I ain't going to work the next day. Probably for the rest of the week. Maybe the next month. Like, I'm just – and I've never been hit by a baseball like that. So maybe, like, I just overestimate what getting hit by a baseball feels like. But nah, bro, like, I played catch. I've had a baseball hit my shin. It's not fun. And so, yeah, um, the Yankees are really bad, which is great because they stacked their roster, and the Dodgers look really good, and it's so early that none of this matters. Like, the Indians are in, like, second place, and it's like we hit a lot of home runs, but we can't get any other hits, and Shane Bieber is striking people out at a historic rate. And we're talking about, like, foreign substances on the balls and, like, pitch counts and like speeding up the game and it's like bro i don't care how long a baseball game is i know that if i'm gonna watch baseball that game could last forever you really don't have to watch it pitch by pitch every single pitch of unless it's like the world series like you can go take a break and if you smoke cigarettes go smoke a cigarette or go outside and like hold your baby and sing boo i'm a ghost because i have this song called boo i'm a ghost i sing to my baby i'm rambling guys but anyways Find a way to make baseball more entertaining for the mass public or just appease your fans that actually spend money and then baseball will be just fine. Um, yeah, so this has been another episode of Dads in Time Out from your host, Jesse Williams, a.k.a. J. Will. And until next time, signing off.